who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested, and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android, or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. What does feminism mean to you? During Women's History Month, come explore feminism and how it's playing out in real life with season two of Thread the Needle, a monthly podcast. I'm your host, Donna Schill. I'll use my background in journalism to dive into topics that matter to women today, from divorce to call-out culture to masculinity to girls' confidence. Season two of Thread the Needle finds the meeting place between feminist ideals and the realities of women's lives. Listen to Thread the Needle wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Du. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters, Stephen Barnes. And Tananari do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream project. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day. Life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. Yay! Hello, everybody. How are you? Hey! Woo! Big crowd today. Big, big, big crowd. I'm letting the applause go on just a little bit longer because this is a very, very special occasion. <laughs> and and what's that special occasion, my dear? No one will ever guess what it is because it's not even a thing, but we're making it a thing. It's our 102nd episode! Yep. Yeah, we had... Okay, sorry. We had calm, so down, many... calm down, calm down, calm down, people. <laughs> we had okay. so many great guests that we weren't able to, you know, celebrate the 100th birthday, the, you know, 100th anniversary the way that I might have wanted to because we just had this this cavalcade of guests. And it wouldn't have been but fair. I, I wanted to, to slow down and yeah. have an opportunity to celebrate. It's one of the things that's important to do in life. When you get small victories, you need to stop and celebrate. So this week is just a celebration of having you know, our first 100 episodes, you know, 102nd episode, our 102nd episode, and we just wanted to share some thoughts about it. So take this away, because this is your baby from the beginning. As we always do about this time, before we go into that, let's talk a little bit about, you know what it is. see us dancing like fools it's really a shame this is only audio for the most part because we are we really get into our theme song like our what's going on theme song and the first thing i want to talk about well there are a couple things i'll start with the screenwriting part revision has been the toughest journey for me as a screenwriter what is it what is revision exactly revision is when you turn in a script you think is great And then you get notes back from a studio or an executive or a beta reader, and they're telling you, ah, not so great. Um, And (laughs) finding the way to 
to process those notes emotionally, figure out what they're trying to say, because sometimes what they're saying doesn't make sense just because they're not writers. They don't know how to express it. They just know what they don't want sometimes. And the element of surprise. So to not only do what they've asked you to do, but do things they didn't even ask you to do. And we turned in a revision on a pilot where we had, I'd say, six big surprises, six big like reconceptions of scenes, added elements, more horror where they didn't even ask for more. They didn't even ask for more with the dog. I'm not going to go into specifics, but we gave them more. Okay. And we just got feedback from a director. Oh, my God, I can't wait till I can talk about who someone whose work I already teach in my black horror class. But this director's notes. We're basically like, okay, y'all got this. Here's a few fixes, you know, some trim ideas, but it's on the page. And I'll tell you, you know, you huge. Look, huge. I'm because talking, I'm working on uh, the Star Wars novel, and because this project originally came out of your heart, you've had to take lead on it. So kudos, primarily kudos to you. I have contributed as much as possible. Oh, but uh, you know the way this works. The way we work, though, you have a great overview mind, storytelling and structure mind. You're really good at diagnosing issues sort of from a meta standpoint. I think that's one of your specialties. Like you tell people, tell me what your story is about. And you're like, ah, I see the problem. (laughs) 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 But uh, (laughs) so, I, I mean, yes, I receive that. But we have been in this hand-in-hand. Well, I guess that's to say that that we can afford for this to be a mutual admiration society. Yeah. Because I see exactly what you're bringing to the table. And sometimes when you're working with me and we're working 50-50, sometimes I'm taking the lead. Sometimes it's just one of my projects, but I want to talk through stuff with you. Yeah. The same thing is true with you. Sometimes it's just your project and you talk things through with me, or sometimes it's your project and you don't talk about it with me. Sometimes it's your project and you do talk about it. Sometimes it's a project and I have input, and sometimes we're working side by side. They're so, all different degrees of how they're we all different together. degrees. And what we have to do to move our family forward as a unit is to not really differentiate. It's just everything's on a spectrum there. It's, you know, what do you need from me? Do you know that, you know, anytime, day or night, you've got access to that, that creative mind? Yes, you do. In which case, I'll go do what I do. You do what you do. And we meet every evening and talk about our day. We meet every morning. We meet every evening. But in between there, sometimes we go our separate ways. Yeah, we yeah, it's great. In fact, as writers, this is this is great. This, this is more that. your victory than mine, but it's both our victories. It's, no, it's, it's both our family. victories. Yeah, I I remember um, just day one in terms of the beat outline and how quickly you, because you're so great at outlining, you know, were able to pull that together just to the the magnetic card stage where we were taking what we had learned in the writers' room for Crystal Lake and brought it home with us. And we were able to break that story down in record time for us. See, and, the, and that's the just your strength. You're looking at a live baby, and you want to make sure the baby is comfortable, and then you anesthetize the baby, and you comfort the baby's parents, and you very carefully open the baby up with all, looking at all the monitors, and you make sure the baby's alive. Me, I turn that baby into a little robot, <laughs> and then I just take it apart and look at it and put it back together. You know, it's it, I have no respect for the baby. <laughs> Well, it's just something for us to play with. Honey, uh, I, I have one more, like, what's going on I want to talk about that's personal and, and has to do with both of us. But I want you to talk about your personal what's going on before I bounce back to that. Okay, the most important one is Star Wars, yes. where I've pretty much tried to detail you know, where I am. And one of the things that has happened with this particular book, because of the fact that I had to juggle more things at the same time than usual. I think the last time I wrote a Star Wars book, that was the only thing I was working on. Whereas this time, there are multiple other projects that I'm doing. So I've used a lot of different techniques in order to create to see the whole picture, to create the characters, to create the situations, to create the text. You know, there was multiple ways I created text. I typed text. I dictated text. I wrote text to script and then converted the script to text, you know, on and on and on. And that sometimes there are scenes that are out of order, you know, because I, I went deeply into what a, a battle you know, a battle that took place over multiple days looked like from one particular character situation. And I wrote all of those scenes 
then realize that there are other scenes that have to be interspersed between them. So I've decided that today what I'm going to do is I'm going to put all the scenes in the correct order, which means to me that I'll take a look at the printed manuscript and I will use post-its and I will use paper clips to create bunches of scenes that need to go in a particular place, then I will put them in the order in the binder where those scenes should have gone. And because the page numbers are at the top of those scenes, I then get to see where I can pull from. Now what I'll need to do is to put open two files side by side that are both into the same virtual file and move them from one file to the other file. But I'll also want to do a backup just in case I hurt anything. So I'll start by making a backup. I'll make the backup probably two different ways. I'll probably do one backup in Microsoft Word and another backup just in another virtual file. And then I will work, you know, in the current file, create two of them side by side, find, okay, this chunk needs to go roughly on this page. This chunk needs to go roughly here. This chunk needs to go roughly here. When I get finished with today, I think that the best thing I can do is to have everything in order so it's a, a matter of rewriting, expanding, plugging in some holes. But right now, I've got, I figure I've got three weeks because, you know, I've got, got the week before Christmas. I've got the week between Christmas and New Year's. It's supposed to be in on the first or, you know, the beginning of the year. But mm. nobody's going to blame me if the, you know, New Year's Day is on Monday in, in, two weeks. And so if I take the rest of that week off, they're hardly going to be getting back in their offices, you know, before the end of the week there. And they're not going to expect anything to really get cut up. But by the Monday following, they're going to start putting pressure on me. They're going to want to know where it is. So by if if I can have this ready for you by Christmas Day. For me, yes, I get to read for, it first. For, <laughs> for you, you get to read it first. And then within a week, you're giving me notes or putting notes into the manuscript. And then the week following New Year's, I am busting butt. I should, I can see how I can get this done, you know. Yeah, and so, but, you. but it's it's a matter of I, there's certain work that I ha I have to break a certain amount of work today. Well, and you will, and every yeah. time you talk about it, it just sounds more and more amazing. So not only will you get it done, but you're going to get her done. And there's a difference, and there's some breaking news on this, by the way. <laughs> We all knew this was a Mace Windu novel. But this past week, there was a cover reveal and title reveal. Tell them the name of your book, honey. The name of the book is The Glass Abyss. Oh. The Glass Abyss is the title. And if this were, I mean, I could, I could put the picture up, but we're not doing, you know. We, we might have a video version of this podcast okay, so because I'll, it's I'll, so I'll, awesome. Okay. So let me... It, give me around to share the screen. Yeah. Oh, 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 absolutely. Darling, you should be a co-host. How can you not be a co-host? We will do that. Just one second. Make co-host. Make co-host. This is all live live broadcasting, everybody. Oh, but I muted him. I accidentally uh, muted him. Mute. Okay, so it will stop your, your, your sound. Oh, it would? Oh, okay. Well, never mind. See, that's what I was worried about. If I play uh, video clips, that it would stop my, my share. Okay, we don't want to do that. So, so, so anyway, but congratulations on that. I'll you. rosebud that out. I know you say you don't have to, but I, I probably will because I'm just that kind of producer. But do do it your way, honey. It's, it's your it's your uh, your your world. I just play in it. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to announce. I mean, it's baby steps. No classes have been chosen yet. We don't know what exactly is all going to happen, but our son Jason is officially enrolled in community college, like his sister before him, enrolled. He is, I believe they are Panthers. So I don't even think he knows that yet, that he's a Panther. So you're, you're hearing it first. Very exciting, very exciting milestone for the family. He had a gap year and change during which he was taking an internship with us on internet marketing and learning some principles of that, because as you probably have heard us mention from time to time, we also sell online courses. And, you know, since it's holiday time, I might as well give you the roundup. We have the year-long Life Writing Premium course, which is a flagship and sponsor of this podcast, where you get daily downloads, I mean, weekly downloads for a year, 
to help you stay on your writing journey. We have a Black Horror course, which Monkey Pop Productions, by the way, was just talking about my sunken place Black Horror course that I teach at UCLA. And everyone's like, oh, I wish I could take it. Well, you can, because Steve and I created an, a digital download online version of the Sunken Place course back in 2017 at www.sunkenplaceclass.com. We have an Afrofuturism course at afrofuturismwebinar.com. And there's Steve's Tai Chi class, which is firedancetaichi.com. So, I mean, I'm kind of plugging, but I'm also letting you know what kind of depth we have in terms of our marketing and our products. And that's the kind of thing that we have been discussing with Jason as he's looking out at the world, trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do? And enrolling, that first step of enrolling in college is so huge. Are you feeling that, honey? What I'm feeling is that the plans are coming together. Yeah. That it was all based on education is a matter of connecting new things to things you already know. You're motivated to do things because you can see how they connect to your own hopes and dreams. Jason had fantastic focus, but he just didn't necessarily have focus on the things we wanted him to focus on. So the trick was going to be to get him to believe in himself enough to admit what he really wanted in life and then to build a program that supported what he wants before he knows what he wanted. I had to reach out on faith, the, the belief that what everyone wants is to stop hurting and to feel better, and that everybody basically wants health, love, and abundance. How we satisfy those needs is another question. What we define as success is another question. But the note was most, the idea was to get him going, to get him moving in that direction, doing things that he wasn't always happy about doing that were connected to, let's say, our mastery so that he could at least see that we were telling him the truth. Mm -hmm. But it's all going to be based on who is he? What does he want? And to give him the time to be able to admit that he wants to eat the world that he wants to succeed, that he believes in his own genius, his own readiness to embrace adulthood. How do you balance that? Watching that, him, yeah, watching oh him embrace that has been such a journey for us as parents. And I will just say, you know, kids mature at different ages, parents. Don't expect that just because your kid turned 18 <laughs> that you should panic if they don't feel like they're ready for the world. Back in the day, you weren't an adult till you were 21. And there are people who take longer than that for all of those things that maybe you did when you were 16 or you did when you were 17 to kick in. So don't judge your kids by who you were. Don't judge your kids by your friend's kids. That's right. And aside from that, it's just... <sighs> If you want to communicate with someone, if you want to influence their behavior, the first thing you have to do is to love them enough for them to know that you love them. They don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so the, the, making sure that Jason knows every day that I adore him, that we adore him, that he is yeah. safe and loved and honored, then it makes sense to, to institute disciplines of various kinds. So we've, we've been on, on quite a, a journey. We were homeschooling parents. And this reminds me of back in the day, segue into the anniversary show. Yes. Because 102 or so episodes ago, we were in the middle of that homeschooling journey. And we were discussing it in the opening segment, as we do in every podcast, what's going on basically before our, our very, very first guest, who was the comedian Roy Wood Jr., and he commented on what we were talking about in terms of education, and that conversation just flowed from there. And I just want to take a moment to say that it was Steve's idea, really, to to start a podcast as a part of a marketing framework. You know, part of it is you create a product that you can draw from and provide to people and teach them, and and that helps you segue into. Uh, selling products and et cetera, et cetera. So we, it was kind of like checking a box. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, okay, this year we do podcast box. And I was, I didn't know what to expect. I felt like maybe we were entering the podcast game a little bit late because it seemed like everybody had a podcast. And I was a little shy about asking people to be on the podcast. But you know, Steve and I have been doing these kinds of conversations publicly 
for many, many years, starting on internet radio. You did life writing on internet radio. We can't remember the name of that platform that died. Oh my gosh, I almost had it. I almost had it. But there was a platform that died and took all of our episodes with it, unfortunately. The worst. Yeah, that was that was bad. It was, yeah. I forget what the name of it was. Probably I shouldn't even put it out there. We've blocked it now. But we I'm just gonna shout Karama Horn, okay? Because she gave us a consultation when we first started out. Blurred Girl, you know her as B-L-L-E-R-D. I think it's Blurred. B-L-E-R-D, girl. She she is an amazing podcaster. And she gave us the rundown. And I am using tools. You have her contact information? I can't. I will look for it. I will look for it when I have a break. Yeah, let's let's send it out. We can send it out to our list because she really did us a solid and she did. Uh, she she's the real deal, and she's now looking to help other people get started. Yeah, absolutely. So we can awesome. we can wholeheartedly recommend her, and let's 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 help her promote her her this workshop. I absolutely to our would love to do that because she yeah, she ran she it down. It. She ran it down, and every, she, everything she said was right. <laughs> and I still aspire to do some of the things that she advised, like having one in the can, which we've never done. In all 102 episodes, we've never had one in the can yet, but we will. We will one day. But in any case, Steve and I had just appeared on a podcast called Beyond the Scenes, so The Daily Show did, because Roy Wood Jr. invited us to come on to talk about Black Horror. That was a, a segment that ran after The Daily Show, and they would sort of unpack things that had been brought up on The Daily Show, and he was really intrigued by this idea of Black Horror. So when they're doing this podcast, it was all professional. They mailed us equipment to do it. You know, it was so professional. And by the end, we just happened to mention that we were starting a podcast. He said, oh, invite me to come on. Mind you, when I said we were starting a podcast, we had not even recorded our first episode yet. The podcast was still an idea more than it was a reality. And for anyone else who was shy, who's wondering, should I do it? Will people respond to it? Will people want to be guests? I think the answer is yes. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. You've probably heard the name Mary, Queen of Scots, and maybe you know the importance of her legacy to the British monarchy, but how much do you know about her life and what she was really like? For instance, did you know that she preferred to have her eggs scrambled, or that giving gifts was her love language? In my podcast, Vulgar History, we'll be talking about all that and more during an eight-part miniseries about the fascinating life of Mary, Queen of Scots. Vulgar History is a feminist women's history comedy podcast where we don't shy away from the messy, complicated lives of women from the olden times. Particularly with women in history, it's easier to use broad strokes to portray who they were, and it's like we forget they probably also had messy lives, complicated relationships, and maybe things weren't as black and white as they might seem in a textbook. But I'm dedicated to sharing the sides of the stories we don't always hear, and each episode is supported by rigorous historical research. Turns out there's really something about Mary Queen of Scots. 
So be sure to tune into my series about Mary Queen of Scots and check out the other incredible women I've talked about while you're there. You can listen and subscribe to Vulgar History wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at vulgarhistory.com. Podcasting is a, and start with inviting other podcasters. That was what it was. I wasn't inviting him as daily show correspondent. I was inviting him as a fellow podcaster and fellow podcasters will support you. Every guest I'm about to play a clip from also has their own podcast. So Roy Wood Jr. has one, Naomi Perrigan has one, and so does Patton Oswalt. <laughs> it's so interesting that so many of our early guests were comics because Steve and I are not comics. I mean, we're both very funny and private, but that's not so much a part of our public persona. But trust me, we are both hysterical. Aren't we hysterical, honey? You're hysterical. Me? Hysterical? He's hysterical. Look, we yeah, from crack, time to time. There have been times when we people crack mild a little bit. Other up. We crack <laughs> each other up all the time. And I have so much respect for comics. So I we're gonna do blocks of clips. And the theme of this block is our comics who came out and who have supported the show, starting with Roy Wood Jr. I don't know what the Daily Show was thinking to let him go. You talk about that. I mean, in fact, if you only know Roy Wood Jr. from The Daily Show, believe me, you have only touched the surface of, of this man's work. He's been a comic for years. Look up his videos on YouTube. I think he has videos on Comedy Central. Very, very funny. Very, very smart. That perfect combination of uh, awareness and comedic ability. And in this clip, the set of clips I'm about to play, starting with Roy Wood Jr., he's going to talk to us a little bit about our process. Naomi Paragon will talk about, and you've seen her as Carol on Mythic Quest. She's been on Central Park. She's going to talk about some of the things that inspired her to become a writer as an actress. And also finishing up with the great Patton Oswalt was just a hysterical thing that happened when he got cut off in the middle of his podcast appearance. Here's a clip where we pay tribute to the comics who have helped us su- succeed on the Life Writing Podcast. That joke was birthed from my trip to the African-American Smithsonian in D.C. That was the first time that I'd seen a civil rights museum. We've gone through slavery. We've gone through desegregation and emancipation proclamation and reconstruction. But on this floor, Beyonce, Michael Jordan, Issa Rae. Thank you for coming. (laughs) I love it. For me, the root, like the base, like the base of my comedy is this is comedy for black people about the black experience. Now, you can put it under a bunch of bright lights. You can put it on Comedy Central. But at the end of the day, this is comedy that when a joke does what I want it to do, a white person goes, wow, I didn't know that. And a black person should watch it and go, that's what I've been trying to tell y'all. Amen. Yes. Well put. If the joke can do that with the same sentence, then that's that's a joke worth keeping. The Civil Rights Museum, man, that whole thing came about. Because I started noticing at a lot more, and this is post Trayvon Martin. This is a this is a long time ago. Because the joke you're talking about, that's from my first hour special. I know. Well, you came out the gate. 2017. So in that one, I'd observed, you know, a little bit well, just more white people volunteering at blackity black stuff. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I had made a comment about it to a friend of mine. And we kind of got into a debate back and forth just about what you want a white person leading a tour of a black history museum. And so there are the pros and cons of it's our history. What are you doing? But if you're wanting to support the culture in some sort of way, more power to you. But then with my comedy, what I'm trying to do, if that's the surface level discussion, then what is the angle on this issue that we haven't considered? And when you go to a new place that people haven't thought about before, then it kind of gives you carte blanche to be explorative because, yeah, I don't want white folks to do it. It's our history. Okay, y'all can have that argument. But what was the job application process like? (laughs) If you're white and you work for a civil, is it it a different interview? Do they, how woke do you have to be? You know, like. (laughs) 
just that nonsensical exploration gives you an opportunity to deviate off of the pain and deviate away from the actual spine of the issue and then come back to the act. When I say spine, I, I refer to that as the base level train of thought or the issue at hand. I still don't think black people like me now. That's an issue for me and my therapist. I'm uh, a black person and I like you. I know you do. And that's, it's very healing. I'd always wanted to be an actor for as long as I could remember. And even my writing growing up, I was, you know, I was writing stuff that I thought I could be in. I was writing what I wasn't seeing on TV. I always say it's like, as a, you know, growing up 80s, 90s, I grew up with a lot of black TV. Mm-hmm. And then it all went away by like right. the early aughts. But exactly. growing up, I was like, oh, this is what I want. Like, I was like very upset when Raven Simone got on the Cosby show. I was like, why? How do I get an audition? Remember right. they brought her in later and she was oh, young? They bring like, in, excuse me? They bring in new kids? Exactly. I was <laughs> right. like, I didn't realize. I didn't realize there was a casting call. So, like, that's always what I wanted. And I thought stand up was the way. Uh, Thanks so much to our guest, Patton Oswalt, who is, uh, apparently was abducted by aliens, is my story. I'm here. I'm here. Hello, he's, he's here. He's here. Oh, and he's Yay. in the car. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He went okay. to your car. The power went out in my house. I had to go. I had to manually get the gate open. I got in my car. I drove down here. I'm in a parking lot of a big five sporting goods store. <laughs> oh, my God. So I know. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, no, no. no. Yes. We were talking about life gets in the way. This is life. Life is what happens while you're making other plans, bruh. Welcome to the podcast. Okay, so that was a series of clips. I almost want to tear up listening to the generosity of our guest, honey. Let the tears come, sweetheart. Yeah. If the, last, if the laughter comes. These are all people who donated their time to become yeah. part, to because they value the blogosphere. Mm. They believe that these conversations, which are happening outside of the high, the hierarchical structure of mainstream media are valuable. That people talking to each other is valuable. I believe that it knits the world together. So if you're talking about hierarchies, that's how money collects. And so these people can do fantastic things and movies that cost $200 million and so forth. But the individual can become part of the global conversation with a podcast. You can yeah. become a part of the global conversation with a blog, with a Facebook post. The individuals can make a difference. And if you say things that are provocative and interesting, there are countless people who have achieved huge audiences by starting with nothing and then saying it in a way that attracted people and it organically built up. I believe in that and that if there's something you want to say to contribute to the world, start saying it. Put it out there into cyberspace. Become part of the pop, uh, of the conversation. Each of these people that has been on our broadcast has given a gift of their time and energy, sometimes worth thousands of dollars an hour, in order to be part of this. And there is no way to thank them enough. No, that's absolutely true. And one of the things that has stayed with me since the beginning I don't have a clip of her. In fact, in some ways, I'm a little bit protective of this interview because the great N.K. Jemison was also an early guest. And I was so surprised at her level of candor in her interview about how she was struggling with her manuscript, about how she was wrestling with her emotions. And I thought, wow, this is pretty extraordinary and and also just an indication of how even though I don't know her really you know I know her friends call her Nora and I call her NK I don't really know her like that but we do know each other on one level and I think that's one of the things about writers you know obviously anyone can listen to this podcast but it's called life writing a lot of most of our guests, if not all of our guests, have been writers. We spend a lot of time talking about writers and talking to you as if if you're not actually writing, you secretly want to be a writer. And it is a a family. You know, writers are a family. And I find that true, as I've said in, in Hollywood. I find that true on book tour when I meet other writers on the road. Even though we don't know each other, 
so often we want each other to succeed. We had a, a, a salon at our house last weekend, as a matter of fact. Finally, okay, we, I've been dreaming of this moment for so long. The first year, a lot of people canceled. So it wasn't really as writerly as I had hoped it would be. But this year, the writers showed up. And some of them, drove, like Shane Hawk, who will be a future guest on this podcast. He's an indigenous uh, author and editor. He and his wife drove all the way from San Diego. To be there. He was excited to be invited. And we had showrunners. We had someone who's a showrunner's assistant in a writing room. We had people who've worked on multiple shows. We had people who've never written for TV but write novels. And all of us were just sharing. We were sharing our challenges. We were sharing our triumphs. And I've been so moved by the degree to which that spirit of sharing has also translated over into the podcast where where people will tell us things. Like even one of the clips I'm going to play right now is from best-selling, like New York Times best-selling author, Lee Bardugo, who said after the podcast that she had been asked questions she had never been asked before and that she was still like kind of vibrating from the podcast in a way that was almost scary, like, did I tell too much? You know what I mean? We tell everybody, we have a spiel whenever we have a guest on our podcast, that this is not a gotcha podcast. That if you say anything during this interview, or even after it's over, or even after it's on the air, that you wish you had not said, we will go back and edit it out. And our editing word is rosebud. So I'm going to fool myself when I'm editing because I just said it. But if you ever hear that word on a podcast, then it then you know that was a mistake. But uh, but in any case, I, we give everyone that that talk, and I think it helps create an environment of intimacy. Uh, an early reviewer said it was like listening to us talking to our friends at the kitchen table, and I'm really glad that that's what comes across because that's how it feels to me. Like I don't know, I'm not hanging out with a lot of these people, but for that hour, we are all sitting and talking to each other at the kitchen table. So for these next two clips. We'll have New York Times bestselling author Lee Bardugo talking about how late she started writing and the advice she gives writers who who also are not, you know, right out of school. And stellar showrunner Rodney Barnes, who has been involved with every TV show you can mention, including The Rise of the Lakers that was just on HBO and, and they foolishly canceled that show. But here are Lee Bardugo and Rodney Barnes in two episodes talking about things that they think y'all need to know. And other plans, <laughs> bruh. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Lee Bardugo! This is like better than an affirmation. Like I'm getting so much love from this invisible audience. <laughs> this is amazing. I saw a quote from you. It says, I didn't publish my first book until I was 37. So if anyone out there is thinking your chance has passed, there's no expiration date on your talent. And I do say it a lot because, you know, we live in a culture that really venerates youth, right? Mm-hmm. It, it fetishizes youth. And the stories that we see, you know, that, that make it to the Today Show and so forth are either that you you wrote your first book when you were 18 or you wrote your first book when you were 80, right? But I know a lot of writers who either published when they were in their 30s and their 40s for the first time or started getting acclaim then because they had been publishing for a long time and weren't overnight successes. And my fear is always that because I always get asked, you know, what's your advice for young writers? And I always take a step back and I'm like, this is my advice for all writers. Thank you. you. Yes. Because there's, there's enough, you know, one of the worst moments, I think, if you were a smart kid is the moment when you stop being the smartest, youngest person in the room. When you've been told your whole life that what's interesting about you is that you're so smart for your age. Mm. You know, being a wunderkind has an expiration date on it. And so there is a moment for any gifted kid where that stops being the case and you can very easily start feeling like a failure. And I have people in my line sometimes who are aspiring authors and who are, you know, in their twenties and they feel like their moment has passed because of the way that culture and media work. So yeah, if I can at any time be an example of like, just keep going, just keep writing. They only win if you don't keep writing. It's always a proving thing with Hollywood. So this one gig, not long ago that this company wanted me to do, they wanted three or four specs. They wanted features. They wanted everything. And fortunately, I had it. 
10 years ago, I wouldn't have had it. I would have only had sitcoms that were produced. And when you're in a writer's room, no one knows who wrote what. So it's difficult for them to give you credit for having worked on a show. You really only get credit for specs. Even after all these years, I've been writing on TV shows for 20 plus years and no one cares that if I give them a winning time script or uh, everybody hates Chris or boondocks, they're looking at your specs to say, okay, we know what that thing is. What's your voice? And I think Hollywood buys voices more than they actually buy writers. That is- okay. So <laughs> there you go. More well, I have to admit fair. that of all the things that people have said in the time that we, in the years we've been doing this, that might be one of the top 10. Yeah. It could be one of the top five. The idea that, that, that you have to have those spec scripts, you know, scripts that, you know, for us would be things like Mississippi shuffle, you know, the scripts that we, you know, we, the keeper yeah. script that started as a script right. before it was a graphic novel. That's right. So, you know, we arguably need to start asking ourselves, what is the next script we're going to do that is written in the universe in which, people are eager to see what we're going to do next and, and willing to fund it. What what would our voice be? And then what would your voice be as an individual? What would my voice be as an individual? Just understand. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you in terms of top five. There are people who've been on the podcast whose words really roll around in my head. And that is one. I think we, in fact, we wrote a spec script during the writer's strike, as a matter of fact. And part of that is Rodney's voice. And our head, we're still getting meetings off of the, the Keeper script, good meetings. I mean, actually, some really good meetings off of the Keeper script. But you're right. What's next? What's fresh? And yeah, so so that's great. And something else that I, I don't have a clip for, but that I quote all, all the time, is that don't let the stress of this world, this process, this business eat you alive. And one of our previous guests, I, again, I don't have the clip, but I, I repeat this probably once a week in some context, whether I'm talking to a screenwriter or uh, whatever it is. He said, uh, and so many people shout out jo- the late director, John Singleton, as someone who helped them out at the beginning of their careers. I, I, I swear we must have had four or five podcast guests who mentioned John Singleton specifically. But what Chael Hadari Coker, who did Luke Cage, by the way, he was a showrunner for Luke Cage, what he said about John Singleton was that he directed movies for 25 years, but three years of television killed him. And that just, I don't know if it's literally true, but it felt so true based on the kinds of stories we've heard from other showrunners. We've had other showrunners on the show. It is, we heard from showrunners at our salon this past week. I remember a showrunner I sat next to on a plane who clearly didn't want to keep talking to me, but he was kind enough to give me a sentence of advice, which, because I congratulated him on a show getting picked up again, because I Googled him when I found out who he was, and I congratulated him. And he said, being a showrunner is two days of celebrating and then all homework, homework, homework. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you, sir. Like, he was busy. He he wasn't trying to be rude. I mean, he was busy, but he was clearly relieved that I was not going to be that person who was going to be talking to him the whole time on the plane. And he gave me a nugget. And maybe it didn't mean anything to him, but it meant a lot to me. And I've never forgotten that nugget. You know, he, he actually was a showrunner for one of our former guests, who is Al Letson, you know, who was also at our salon. Did you want to add anything, honey? Personally, I mean, not just to look, the viewers. It isn't that the pieces, the pieces of individual advice mean so much. It is the overall generosity of spirit. The It, it is nourishing and nurturing to have acts, to be able to speak to other people who are on the same path. When we're right. talking to somebody like Rodney, who is further along the path than we are, he mm-hmm. can report back to us how he got arrows in the butt. You know, what what happened? Pioneers get arrows in the butt. So if you can learn from their adventures rather than having to get those arrows yourself, you will be able to go further with a more comfortable butt. I, I adore talking to people like that. If they will share their actual journeys and what you're looking for is what behaviors do they practice? Like, you know, get that sample script, that spec script. What emotions do they 
employ? You know, how do they hold their heart? How do they deal with fear? How do they deal with disappointment? And then what what actions, what emotions, and what strategies do they use? Everything that you want to know about somebody, modeling them, comes from modeling their physical actions, their emotions, and their strategies. And every week, we're getting people to talk about these things. What do you do? How do you feel? What do you think about it? That's what that's what I want people to do every week is to look at use some framework for digging into what these people are saying, to start noticing the things that we ask them every week, the places we have them to go. It's always going to be about what are the physical actions they take, how do they feel about it, how do they think about it. When you do that and then apply that to your life, you will extract so much because every single person we've had on here is, is nobody's being paid. Everybody's here because they love writing. They love writers. They want to contribute to this. So they're doing the best they can to speak their truth. When you find somebody who will do that, listen to them. You might disagree with them, but, but for the time you're listening to them, empty your cup and then preferably see if you can extract an experiment from what they're saying. Let me try this for a week. Let me try this approach for a week and see what happens. Don't let what you think about things stop you from acting if you haven't experimented with it. And this is, I think, so important. Try things. Try lots of different things. You will eventually find the things that start working. Double down on those. Great. Absolutely. Could not agree more. And as we continue our retrospective of our 102 episodes of Life Writing Podcast, I'm reminded that a couple of our guests did not actually appear on the podcast. One set was uh, an interview we did with Jordan Peele that's actually a part of our Sunken Place course that we sell online at sunkenplaceclass.com. But we used some excerpts from his class visit. It's a digital course, but he Skyped in, that'll tell you how long ago it was, <laughs> to, to talk to the class. And we played some excerpts from that conversation on that podcast. You can listen back to our Jordan Peele podcast. Go ahead and, and use the search function to find that one. But this one is very special. This is our only posthumous guest. And it's a very special guest. And Steve doesn't even know that this clip is one of the clips. It's the late Octavia E. Butler who was a, a good friend of Steve's or knew him, you know, you can talk about your friendship, but we did an interview with her in the year 2000 that we have referred to back on internet radio before we did the podcast that we have played for various students and various webinars. But this time we said, hey, what if we made Octavia Butler literally a guest on our podcast with a series of clips? So do you want to uh, say anything to set it up, honey? You don't know what clip it is, so maybe that's not fair. But do you want to speak to Octavia? You know, I, I don't, you know, I guess what I'd like to say about Octavia was she was the most committed artist that I've ever known who was still sane. She was sane and she was healthy, but she put so much of herself there. And I think that it says to anybody that if you want to excel, you have to be willing to invest so much of yourself that there needs to be one part of your brain that's constantly asking, am I taking care of my body? Am I taking care of my heart? Because the people who are the best of the best of the best are monomaniacal. So I noticed that about her, that she'd cut off some of her life options in order to shine in this particular one. She was the real thing. She genuinely was brilliant. She genuinely was totally committed. She was she was that thing, that thing that we that when you talk about your the artists who change the world, she was an example of what it takes to do that. And I think that by studying her, you can make a conscious decision. Am I willing to go this far? And then if you are, take care of yourself so you'll last as long as possible because we need people willing to put it all out there. So let's listen to this. Yeah, if you go back and listen to the full Octavia Butler episode, she talks about everything from process to frustrations. This particular clip really speaks to why she wrote, what she wanted to accomplish with her fiction, and the, you know, people thinking that maybe she was a little bit of a pessimist is the subject of this particular clip. 
and they actually buy writers. Oh. That is actually a great segue. I don't mean to sound so cheerful. <laughs> when- <laughs> Well, good news on that. Yay! No, the reason I sound so cheerful is because that is a great segue to our next excerpt from Octavia's interview that day, where she directly addressed... Hey, we're going to die! <laughs> <laughs> right. Where she directly addresses this idea that there might be a little bit of pessimism in her writing. Oh, yeah. Just and, <laughs> and if you've read Octavia, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So here's Octavia discussing her pessimism. Readers have often commented what seems to be a, a bleakness of vision, an underlying threat of pessimism in much of your work. How would you address that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, hey, I mean, look at us. Look at us. Look what we keep doing. We keep marching to the brink. And then drawing back. And the horrible thing is there are some things you can't draw back. I mean, even now, okay, the Russian ship goes up to the, the Arctic and says, gee, there's, there's no ice here, you know, where we would expect to find ice. Mm-hmm. And I listened to several programs in which people said, well, maybe it's natural. Or, well, this, this happens occasionally, and nobody says global warming. Mm-hmm. You know, except maybe the reporter who's asking questions. Is this global warming? Because that's the first thing I thought of. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't think of global warming because there was a, a you know, a, a, at the North Pole there was there was not that much ice. I thought of global warming because of the whole family of, of stuff that's been happening. Right. And it's not a matter of oh, global warming will kill us because it won't, mm-hmm. but it'll kill a lot of people. And it already is killing a lot of people in Africa. Mm. But, I mean, we've, we've got so many indicators. And people find them inconvenient. So they look at each one separately and say, well, you can't prove anything by this. And, mm. you know, we, we just don't seem to be... Well, we're not, we're not really that long-term. We're longer-term than, I guess, any other animal species as far as thinking goes. But we're not long-term enough for our technology. It seems like what our technology is doing is, is, is helping us to do what every other species does, which is basically turning as much of the earth into ourselves as we can before we crash. Wow. See, I think that what Octavius said there is the kind of thing that can only be said by somebody who has studied nature. Mm-hmm. Now, that study of nature from her position did lead her to some pessimism, but it never left her so depressed that she saw no hope at all. I mean, I think that there were times when she probably was not able to write as well as she wanted to, because that capacity to see what needed to be done, the wisdom to see what needs to be done without the wisdom to know what to do can lead one to wondering whether or not anybody knows what to do. And the truth is, from my point of view, that every generation moves the needle forward, you know, not every generation, it's in a wave, move the needle forward, but every generation also runs out of energy. Yeah, They no longer have the ideas. And if they're not careful, they think there are no ideas. If they lose faith in the younger generation, every generation says the younger generation ain't nothing, you know, ain't, ain't got it. You know, their music, you know, they're this, they're that, they've lost their way. Every generation says that about the next generation to come up. And the next generation always surprises you. You know, that, that within a certain, within a certain variation, amount of variation, over time, every generation is born into a world where different, where there are different problems and different solutions have been offered to the old problems. And then they have to reinvent and they have to reconnect. So Octavia was smart enough to see what needed to be done, but was only one human being. Yeah. That it's easier to see what needs to be lifted than have the strength to lift it. So what she did is she left us with the best wisdom she had and trusted that the next generation would be able to build on that. And I, I, I believe that this, that that next generation will not disappoint her, you know, that her spirit would be happy with the way people are picking up the mantle. I agree. And also while that vantage point that she had, because she did, narrow her life down so much to 
her writing and lived a rather solitary lifestyle. Not a hermit, but a, a rather solitary lifestyle. So without the noise and distraction around you, you're standing on this mountain and you can see the tidal wave coming. And it is hard to convince other people that there is also a tidal wave if they're not at your vantage point and they're lost in the noise. But she used that as a superpower to fuel her fiction. Because every book Octavia wrote, in my view, was begging us to pay attention, begging us to pay attention to our hierarchical tendencies, begging us to pay attention to the world around us, and to figure out how to lead. So many of her characters were reluctant and unlikely leaders, you know, and I think she saw herself in some ways that way, at least through her fiction. Certainly the world has come to see her that way. And that was her gift to us, was from that vantage point to try to give us maps. So what more can you ask for? You know, what a great, what a great writer. And and one of my favorite parts of that clip to lighten it up a little bit is to hear her laugh. To hear her laugh. I mean, yeah, it was a downer at the end. <laughs> but the beginning, she was like, mwah. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it's my honor to know that I gave her laughter many times. Yeah. You know, and and warmth. And I got to see that part of her. But she it's difficult to be so smart and you see the problems without having the knowledge to fix them. It is. That that can be a curse of intelligence. Because if you know that you're smarter than most people and more focused than most people and you don't see the answers, it becomes easier to believe that there are no answers and not have the faith that there are smarter people than you or people just as smart as you who have different specializations. And it's so frustrating to feel like you know the answers, but no one else agrees with you. <laughs> those are the answers. Yeah, I'm sure and that's... You, and yeah, you don't have the power to enact those answers. So, you know, looking back, it's just, it's mind-blowing to me that, that... And, you know, Steve and I also do solo episodes on different craft topics, as you know, and I also enjoy those. But I really do love having the guests. I love getting our voicemails from the readers. And I'm sorry... Rosebud, I love getting our voicemails from the listeners. And I want to remind you all, I don't always say this on the podcast. If you want to leave us a voicemail, and please do, wish us a happy anniversary. Tell us one moment that meant something to you. Let us know when and where you listen to the podcast at www.speakpipe, S-P-E-A-K, speakpipe.com slash podcast. It's actually a backslash. So it's speakpipe.com backslash life writing podcast and also we don't say this enough steve and i do weekly zooms where we interact with people in real time live so you're listening to this at your leisure but if you want to just hang out with us on saturdays join our list my list is tananarevelist.com and steve's is stephenbarneslist.com either one of those lists will get you the link to get into the zoom and I just look forward to a 2024. We have a new booker. I want to shout out Laura Colbert. I pronounce it Colbert in my head, but she says she pronounces it Colbert. She has been doing great work. She landed, pinned down the details on the Daniel Krause interview that we just had, Aaron Covington. She brought Aaron Covington to us. She's already at work on an amazing slate of new guests in 2024. I can't wait for you to just experience it all. But mostly, I just want to thank you for listening, for supporting us, for telling your friends, and for joining us at our kitchen table. Did you want to add anything, Steve? No. You mean like, what would I like for next year? Well, whatever thought is in your mind as we're wrapping up. I guess what I really would like to say is to thank the people who've been listening to this podcast. Yeah. We started this podcast with the belief that there was something positive that we could do. And what you've shown us is that we were right. We listen to your text messages, the emails, comments on Facebook and things like that. And we do, we believe that, that there is an audience for what it is that we're saying. And I have to say thank you for letting us know that because we're communicators. You know, artists need audiences. There's no sense. It's can be a painful and lonely thing to feel like we're we're screaming into the void. But when we 
see that there are other souls, other hearts out there that are, are jazzing with us, responding to us. That makes all the difference in the world. And so that's what I really want to say. Thank you. Yeah, thank you all for listening. And really, all I want you to do is go out and make yourself the hero or heroine of your own story. And looking forward to the next 100 episodes, hopefully they will facilitate your being the hero in the adventure of your lifetime. I see what you did, man. All right. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life.